You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Genova. Giulio Sesa, Giulio! Io mi chiamo Giulio Sesa, felicità a tutto Ecuador, a tutto il mondo, Italia! Io ho 20 anni, 20 anni, 20 anni qua, già 23 anni. Niente, non sono andato, non sono andato. Niente, noi tre niente, sempre Carapaz, Carapaz, Carapaz. Carapaz, Carapaz. Wow. A lot of Ecuadorians at the finish line today, Lionel. We heard some of them there, and I didn't know that there were so many Ecuadorians in Genova. Apparently, well, there are certain areas of the city, including the area where the football club is from, where around 50% of the immigrant population is Ecuadorian. Sampdoria. Which, which football club? Sampdoria, Sampdoria. or Genova? Sampdoria. Gen- well, they're Genoa, aren't they? They have the English name, the Genoa Football Club, because they were founded by Englishmen. Cricketers. That's right, yes, indeed. But the Ecuadorians that were here at the finish line today were absolutely certain that their boy, Richard Carapaz, is going to win the Giro. Well, yesterday, Daniel, we had a couple of gremlins in the system, didn't we, when we were recording? The third part didn't record. We had to do it again. And so, second time round, I neglected to mention that uh, I'd asked Team Ineos why Richard Carapaz and Team Ineos had gone for that intermediate sprint to gain three measly seconds. But those seconds may well be critical because this is shaping up to be perhaps a Giro d'Italia of seconds rather than minutes. It's very, very close on GC. And also on a day like that, I think the the thinking was that the riders fancied a bit of a hit out rather than just sitting in the bunch, spin the legs a bit harder, get the heart rate pumping. Uh, that's why Carapaz saw the opportunity was there and they decided to just go for it. And uh, that catapulted him up to second place overall yesterday, didn't should it? We, should we welcome another immigrant to Italy? Uh, Lionel, uh, not Lionel, Brian, I'm sure, I hope all of, all of your papers are in order. I hope you're, uh, you, you are, you're a resident, a certified resident of Italy, aren't you? Very much so. My children were born in Italy. I live here just checking, you'd just like most to check everyone's credentials after Prosciuttopoli yesterday just checking that you weren't here on business um with the race starting in palma this morning how are you this evening brian very well thank you very much the race started this evening it started this morning in palma of course we're sitting in piazza matteotti beautiful at least the beautiful part of genoa there is such a thing as harsh on genoa when we were driving in today and i think it looks quite splendid today quite beautiful it's usually me who corrects you and trying to like make you more enthusiastic about Italy. And Here we yeah. go. Here we go. Well, we went for a wander, didn't we, in the ancient streets there. I brought back memories of a family holiday to this area in 1990, I think it was. You must have been posh coming to Genoa on holiday. Yeah. That's very, well, we very stayed, recherche. We stayed in Albenga, actually, where we're staying tonight. So I'm looking forward. That would be the first time I've been back, except for a bike ride when I did the last 100k of uh, 
Mil- the Milan San Remo course once upon a time because it goes basically tomorrow's stage is kind of the reverse Milan San Remo rollout isn't it from San Remo it roughly is. yeah roughly it at is. least for the regions it visits do you know what, chaps? I was hoping today an American would win because this, of course, is the birthplace of Christopher Columbus. Columbus, Columbus, as you would call him in English. Uh, did he also? Colombo. Did he also invent the tubing for bikes? The Columbus tubing? No, no, possibly no, not. No. Did he predate that by a few centuries? I think he possibly did. I, I make it the, the <laughs> top American Lionel today. should be reset. I think, <laughs> and I make it that the top American today was. Joe Dombrowski, friend of the podcast, 99th place, so alas. Well, shall we crack on with the tale of the tapper for stage 12? This, I mean, we'll, we'll get pelters for the football reference, but this to me is... Will Barter, 13th. Sorry, Lionel, crack on. This, this will get me pelters, but this was the Calcio stage for me of the Giro, from Parma to Genoa. Palmer, of course, uh, a city with, uh, well, a town really, with uh, a football club. Oh, Daniel's wincing here. We, we, yeah, well, already the, 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 the social already media tomatoes the, yeah. are coming our way. Um, but I should just mention our Kilometre Zero that was released yesterday because we neglected to mention it yesterday. A really excellent episode on Gazzetta dello Sport, the newspaper which founded the Giro d'Italia. And there was a sort of segue into Italian football as well. Which Italian media, Italian football. But it's mainly about cycling. It's mainly about the media and it's mainly about the newspaper that founded, of course, the Giro d'Italia. I mean, for me, it was absolutely perfect. It was the Venn diagram of football, cycling and newspapers, which is, uh, that's my wheelhouse. Anyway, today was stage 12 and there was a big old break, wasn't there? I think only three teams missed it in the end, didn't they? Uh, two probably by choice, Ineos Grenadiers, UAE Team Emirates and Group Armour. Sorry, four missed it. Uh, Israel Premier Tech perhaps might have wanted to go in it because Alessandro De Marchi tried to go across but didn't make it. Um, there were three Alpecin Phoenix riders in there, including Matthew van der Poel and Old Arnie. The eventual winner, who was up the road on the stage to Etna, got it absolutely spot on today. There were also a couple of Bahrain riders in there. Crucially, there was Lorenzo Rota of Antomarche and Hes Lehmreiser of Jumbo Visma, because they were the top three who contested the finish. They got away from the rest of the break. And, well, it was a great finish, wasn't it, really? We were speculating who will have the fastest sprint. I, I personally thought Lorenzo Rota would be quickest of those three. But as they came into town, there was all sorts of shenanigans, wasn't there? Lame Razor went very, very early in the sprint. Then there was a real sort of track sprint slowdown, and they were all looking at each other and fanning across the road a bit, side by side. Lame Razor went again, but it was Old Arnie, Stefano Old Arnie of Alpacin Phoenix, who took the stage. And after the line, he kind of fell off his bike, you know, slumped off his bike. He didn't crash. He slumped off his bike, sat on the tarmac. Uh, the tears flowed. It was a quintessential Italian victory. Two Italian wins in a row, of course. Uh, Rota was second. Lemreza was third. The four chasers, Balka Molima, Wilco Kelderman, Santiago Buitrago and Lucas Hamilton, put up a good chase but couldn't get back on terms. The bunch itself was nine minutes down, so not much doing there. This morning, Caleb Ewan ended his Giro d'Italia. It's been a pretty torrid 10 days or so for him it's not really worked out to plan he was 30 minutes down last man over the line a couple of days ago apparently that was all part of Lotto Sudal's plan 
he would leave the Giro d'Italia at this point and will refocus on the Tour de France. But there we go, a stage win for old Arnie and a very good one it was too. No changes to the top of the overall classification. Juan Pedro Lopez still in pink. And actually, Lopez and old Arnie are former teammates at Colmetta. They spent a couple of years together very early in their career. Uh, Wilco Kelderman, that time gain of eight minutes has pushed him back to the fringes of the GC battle. He's up 10 places to 13th, just 2.51 behind now. And having looked completely out of it a while ago, now... Well, he's maybe not made the Bora Hansgrohe uh, tricycle, but it's certainly a, a tandem. He was, he was pretty downbeat at the finish line about his chances of having any impact on general classification. But we'll discuss that, won't we? He was definitely he definitely went up in the Guillaume Martin elevator today. Didn't <laughs> he, he did, didn't he? I mean, maybe not a tricycle, maybe a tandem with stabilizers. I don't know. Um, just before we move on, a couple of other things to mention. Or one particular thing to mention if you are a fan of our title music by Amalatera they're having a gig in London at the Cavendish Arms in Stockwell on Saturday this Saturday that is two days time and several friends of the podcast will be in attendance and I gather that because this is Amalatera's first gig since Richard Moore passed away a few weeks ago um Mark, who leads the band, is going to say a few words in tribute to Richard. And friend of the podcast, Henry Spence, says, if there are any other friends of the podcast who would like to go along, do so. It's at the Cavendish Arms in Stockwell, London, on Saturday night, and all of the details are on Amalatera's Facebook page. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Thank you very much to Supersapiens. I've been asking Christina Scrocher of the University of Verona all sorts of questions about the Super Sapiens app, what I should be looking out for. And this time I asked her what I should be learning from my first phase using the Super Sapiens sensors. How do I find out what is normal? In this kind of first phase of using the sensor, what we normally advise to our athletes is basically to simply observe what happens and try to understand what is the impact of different factors on glucose levels. So for instance, I wouldn't change a lot of things in the first uh, week of using the sensor. I would simply observe what happens with different kinds of food, what happens if I mix and match macronutrients in a different way, what happens when I'm exposed to stress, what happens after a really, really hard day of training, for instance, or maybe a stressful, uh, stressful day at work. So these are kind of all the things that we should first observe in the first week. And then let's say from the second week, uh, while we're on the sensor, start actually making some changes. Where do I feel best? Where am I most stable at? And what gets me kind of out of this balance are kind of the most important things that we advise our athletes to focus on in this kind of first step of using the Super Sapien sensor. 
Just one other thing that we didn't really um, clarify yesterday, because I don't think any of us watched the podium presentation yesterday, did we? Uh, I certainly hot-footed it down to the team buses, but we were discussing the Cork protocol, the, the Prosecco protocol after the unfortunate incident with Biniam Gamay a couple of days ago. They'd already changed it yesterday. The cork was out of the bottle for the stage winner and the pink jersey yesterday, so no further mishaps. Stefano Oldani, who we'll talk about in more detail in a few minutes, did say in his press conference that he was worried of committing a, an embarrassing gaffe, an embarrassing and painful gaffe uh, on the, or during the podium ceremony, but I guess it's a gaffe that most stage winners fear, and, and that's to say tripping up on the way to the podium. Um, has that that's been done in the past, hasn't it? Has anyone ever gone sort of face first and caused himself an injury? But I think it's everyone has that fear whenever they're going up to any kind of podium, don't they? You know, whether it's school prize giving or I don't know if you ever won any prizes at school. Like you were head boy. Of I course. was head boy. I mean, that possibly says more about the school than it does about me. But uh, let's move on, shall we? No offence to the school. It was a perfectly good school. Well, Lionel, you mentioned there was an Italian stage win. It was also the second consecutive Italian stage win in this region, in Liguria, because the race hadn't come here. It hadn't finished here since 2015. On that occasion, it was Davide Formolo who won. Oldani also said in his press conference that he spent a lot of happy childhood holidays just down the coast at uh, Diana Marina, which is in the direction, I think it's in the direction of where we're staying tonight, towards Albenga. And... Oldani, to me, in this Giro, has looked like a guy who is on the front foot. And later in the podcast, we're going to hear from a couple of riders who have felt that they're very, they've been very much sort of behind the eight ball from the start in this Giro. And it's, I think it's a bit of a, a misconception that it's a common thing to ride yourself into, the, into form in a Grand Tour. And what you tend to see is the guys who start well, they're, they're good throughout the race. And Oldani has looked to me like someone who is very much in control of his form at the moment and how he's riding today they also got it tactically right they learned from the mistake they'd made in Naples when Van der Poel was in the was in a break on his own they had three riders in the break today and and Van der Poel becomes a massive asset when he's accompanied by a teammate when he's on his own he almost becomes a liability I think in general also when you look at that team we've, we've known for a while that it's, it's not a one-trick pony operation and they, I think they proved it more than once this year. But coming back to what you said about riders finding form during the race, I think a lot of that is also a mind game. Because now in modern cycling, they, they all have access to their data, potentially too much data. They know exactly how and when they reach peak shape. They know when they need to take it easy or rest up. How well up. they've slept. Exactly, all of that. So sometimes they also become too dependent on, on, on that type of information. I definitely know certain riders who, who have... And then eventually it becomes a mind game that they realize that once they chase those breakaways, when they, once they sit with a winning chance, it's not so much about numbers because they're as, they could be as good as the other four or five guys they're sitting with. They just really have to rely on their ability to race bikes more than analyze numbers. You're absolutely right, Daniel. The numbers were significant for Alpes in Phoenix, but it was significant. I thought that Matthew van der Poel, I think it was around about 35 kilometers from the finish, was trying to get across to the moves that were up the road. And I wondered whether, you know, old Arnie was up there as a kind of foil or whether the initial plan was for him to go and then Van der Poel to come later, perhaps when the spotlight on him was less intense and there were some other dangerous riders up the road and Van der Poel could bridge across and so on. But actually, to be able to pull off a stage victory with 
the rider who's not the outstanding star of the team, I thought um, was to their very great credit. They pulled it off really well. They're good mates, Oldani and Van der Poel, and Oldani has been tantalising journalists on this Giro with what is apparently his nickname given to him by Van der Poel, which is PS, but he won't explain what the PS stands for. I think it's an acronym. It sounds as though it's something scurrilous, something scandalous, possibly something linked to... I don't know, romance. Today, we went, did you notice we went through Casanova um, just before the finish? Could that possibly be a clue? Um, Oldani is also from Milan, and we went through a place called San Siro. Um, I'm ducking, as I say this. <laughs> that's that's yellow the card. wish. <laughs> on a yellow card. Oh, sorry. Not reference. a yellow card. A commissaire's warning. <laughs> commissaire's warning. Do you know what else was really interesting, though, in the press conference um, that Olga, Oldani gave was his comments about hyperbaric chambers, hypoxic chambers. Now... I had a conversation a few days ago with the drone hopper direct sportive Giovanni Elena, who was also bemoaning this. It's something we've known about for a long time, that Italian riders are not allowed to use hypoxic chambers, whether they're in Italy or abroad. And that practice is banned. And Oldani was quite explicit and quite clear in his press conference about the fact that, or as he said, 90 or 95% of his teammates and other riders in the peloton, and that's also more or less the figure that Giovanni Elena quoted to me, um, they use hypoxic chambers. And he says, well, I have to go to altitude, spend two weeks away from my family, whereas everyone else is either in, for example, there's a hotel. In fact, Alpacin Phoenix stayed there earlier in the year in Denia on the Costa Blanca, and it's run by like Alexander Kolobnev, the old professional, and all, I, I'm not sure if all of the rooms or some of the rooms are equipped with hypoxic chambers, and he's not allowed to use that kind of facility. Interesting. Brian, I'm actually, sorry, but that doesn't really make sense. What in, in what sense? So they're all riding, you know, for UCI World Tour teams. They all compete in the same races. And I think if, if one nation, or it would probably be Corny here, that, that, that decide that there's specific rules for what Italian riders can't do. I think it, it becomes a little bit too unclear and also a bit stupid, to be honest. That's, that's my personal opinion. I remember actually being in uh, Canberra at the Australian Institute of Sport, which is a structure Australia set up and spent millions and millions just for the purpose of beating British uh, athletes in the Olympics and the World Championships. That's basically what they told me. They had houses there that the athletes go and live in that are structured this way so they can actually live, eat, work out and sleep obviously in f up to four and a half, five thousand meters. This is something that we should investigate over the next few days. Why exactly this ban has been mandated in Italy, when it dates from. We, we've known about it for a long time. It's certainly several years. It's not a new thing. Oldani also mentioned in his press conference that he thinks Norway is the other is another nation that has similar regulations. Um, we is, will is that investigate. because of winter sports, I guess? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago, didn't we, about Sonny Colombrelli, who's actually commentating on the Giro, giving sort of expert punditry, um, how he can't come back to competition in Italy and with an you know if he wants to be a licensee of the Italian Federation because of his heart problem because he can't have a we well, can't race with the defibrillator fitted whereas in other countries it might be the same thing I'm uh, going to get a yellow card now because that's also why Christian Eriksen yes, had to leave yellow uh, cards. this could be a two man Italian podcast football. at any moment that's right yeah because of the regulations regarding uh, his his heart um, uh, it was a heart attack wasn't it a cardiac arrest during the during the Euros 
I just wanted to ask you, Brian, a question because you're almost uniquely placed to answer this one because you've been in PR in cycling, you've been a team manager in cycling. When it comes to a team like Alpecin, Phoenix, um, does it make any difference to them that a second-rung rider on their roster has won today's stage rather than the more bankable, the superstar Matthew van der Poel? I mean, in terms of the team on the ground, they'll be just as delighted to have got a win. They'll all have a, a nice evening this evening. But in terms of the kind of the overall strategy of the, the year, um, delivering value for sponsors and all of that, does a van der Poel win sort of count one and a half times an old Arnie win? No, I would almost say at this point of the team's history, potentially the opposite. They are a lot more established now than they were just a few years ago. Same way that what's now called Bohans Grow, that it took a few years for them to be more than just a team where Peter Sagan raced. And I think for their internal coherence, their, their coaches and their sports directors, the people who do performance management there, it's a huge win for them also that they they have a structure that can develop talent, that can be a good place for other riders to go and, and chase ambitions on their own and not just go to ride for the team where Van der Poel is. And it makes a lot of sense that a team like that will have an increased budget and will be a lot more attractive for other other riders as well to to follow a career path that's that's beyond just being in the shadow of Van der Poel. And a second question with your PR hat on. Um, Alpecin is obviously a caffeine shampoo that makes all sorts of claims. I mean, I, I obviously didn't use it enough earlier. Neither did earlier. I. <laughs> Neither Neither did I. We're, we're a couple of baldies, Brian. I mean, could uh, could a bald rider ride for Alpecin? I mean, <laughs> a serious it's surely question. happened, hasn't it? Has it happened? That's uh, a good question, my, my, actually. My question would be, yes. I don't know about you, but uh, you know people have hair other parts of their bodies. At least some do. So maybe they can use that as a fallback. This podcast is taking an extraordinary well, turn. I tell you what, I'm going to ask the listeners to do the research for me. Has an Alpecin sponsored? Has Alpecin sponsored a bald rider, either in the old Katusha days or in the current Alpecin Phoenix days? I, I mean, I can yes. look this up myself. I'm well, sure they, they well, have. They've ha- well, they've got board direct sportifs. Well, I've given up hope, and you have probably as well <laughs> to ever be less follically challenged if you would say at this point of our lives but if the stuff really works you know sign me up shall we get back to the stage and hear from a couple of riders who were in the mix but uh, unsuccessful this is wilco kelderman a downbeat wilco man who was in that chase group and also lucas hamilton of bike exchange who uh, was in that four-man chase group that didn't manage to get back up to the three leaders ah gc doesn't matter for me anymore I'm just not good enough on the long climb, so uh, I want to go for the stage win, but ooh, well, uh, too many guys actually in front and was more tactical. Uh, yeah, just we went too late. And anyway, on the climb, the front group was too strong to catch him back, so I was just riding for, I don't know, place five or something. <laughs> I expected to uh, open up a little bit later, and yeah. I think Alpecin and Wanti played really well. That both one guy in front, and they were with more in the front group. So yeah, it's still really far. I think you need to stand on one minute to be in GC. So for me, it does. I'm just not good enough to to able to fight for GC. I think Jai and Amo are in really good shape. So uh, I think they can fight really for the podium. 
Everyone wanted to get in the break, everyone knew it was a day for the break. Uh, it was always going to be hard to control with 22 guys and we sort of knew that maybe the opportunists would get away before that hard climb but I sort of marked that climb as my spot where I was going to try and go. Um, and in the end, the three at the front were just, they were, we couldn't pull them back with four of us swapping off. We, I sort of played my card at that climb and went over the top with uh, Molomar and uh, Kelderman and, and uh, we went as hard as we could. Uh, Molomar was going pretty fast on the descent and I was pretty uncomfortable, but in the end, the three guys at the front were just stronger and uh, we couldn't bring it back. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That said, PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is a customised online therapy service which offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with a therapist. And you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to be. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And our listeners can get 10% off the first month at betterhelp.com slash cycle. Now... Life can be overwhelming and many people can get burned out without really knowing it. And that certainly was my experience of 2021. I was experiencing all sorts of things, lack of motivation, feeling sort of helpless and and trapped and useless. And I had some in-person therapy, um, which I've had on and off over a number of years, and it definitely helps. And I try to use that as a preventative uh, measure rather than waiting to the point where I'm I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and definitely talking to someone that you don't know and who is not going to be judgmental and who is not going to kind of understand intimately the kind of uh, personal relationships you have with people I personally find really helps so if better help sounds like something that might uh, make you feel less anxious in general go to betterhelp.com slash cycle Well, Lionel, the stage is just finished. We're having a lovely, languid afternoon walk past through the streets of old Genoa, aren't we? It's beautiful, isn't it? Where are we going? What are we, what are we on the hunt for this I'm, time? I'm taking you, well, on a hunt for a Genovese speciality. I'm not sure how well known it is that this particular product is from Genova. Salve, buongiorno. Noi siamo i giornalisti a seguito di Giro d'Italia e cerchiamo qualcuno che ci spieghi come si fa la vera focaccia genovese. Niente, niente. Come on, Lionel, we're going to go see the oven. It's, I'm told it's very old. So, Lionel, any questions? Um, How old is the oven, first of all? Yeah, they thought 100 anni. Eh, più o meno sì, a cent'anni questo. Around about 100 years old the oven. Wow. E temperatura è 200. Questo arriva a 210 di più, non arriva. And it goes up to... È proprio um, completamente diverso. It's not that hot, it's not like a pizza oven. And it takes about 15 minuti, if you want it. Sì, sì. That's good. Well, let's do the proof of the pudding is in the eating, Daniel. Should we break this in half? Yeah. Unless there's no herbs on top. No, we've gone for the... The most basic, the most famous iteration of the focaccia. One euro. Did you, did you like to do, like, explain about the olive oil? It has to be from, so Ligurian oil is lighter. The further north you go, basically the lighter the olive oil in Italy. Mm. And? Well, it's really lovely and crispy on the outside, a nice light crisp, and um, it's the it's the, the almost honeycomb centre, isn't it, there? Quite salty, though, isn't it? Mm. Well... 
nice things are often salty, aren't they? Next Odyssey Lionel this evening. Real Genovese or certainly the Gordian pesto. Well, Lionel, did you enjoy our little jaunt through the streets of old Genova? I did, I did, and uh, I love focaccia. I think it's a really, it's a, it's a lovely, it's a nice bread, Daniel. <laughs> focaccia gets its name from the focolare, which is the hearth. And we actually saw the hearth, didn't we, the oven, um, at the Antico Forno Patrone, which was, well, it was ranked number four by a very prominent Genovese Just food for, blog. For the non-Italian speakers, that means ancient oven. Old, old oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And and it was an old oven. It was a very, very old, old oven. oven. And well, the most shocking thing about the trip there to the Antico Forno was that the Genovese are commonly dunking in cappuccino. I mean, I always sort of wince slightly when we're in France and we see the the French dunking their with pieces of bread, bread, butter, and jam into a big milky, murky, tasteless cafe au lait, but dunking a focaccia into cappuccino. This is apparently a very, very common thing in Genova. But but not not <laughs> the version horrified. Not the version with, you know, the herbs and on the no, top. Absolutely. Surely. Well really? the natural version, the one that we had, yeah. But it would still be quite salty, yeah, yeah. right? Yes. It's, still it's very salty. salty. Extremely salty. That's just wrong. I'm going to try it tomorrow. Oh, I wonder well. if we'll get some focaccia. At we will our in Albenga. I mean, the whole in the whole region of Liguria, they sort of lay claim to focaccia, but apparently it was invented here, and the the word was first used in 1300, or the first record of it being used was 1300. So it's been around a long, old time. I've lived here for more than 20 years, and oh. I learned yesterday or today that it was from wow. Genova. Wow! There you go. 1300. I mean, that's just about lunchtime. Oh God. <laughs> Well, we've made it down onto the Ligurian coast, Daniel, and the race will head along a bit more. Well, it'll kind of work its way back in the opposite direction as well, won't it? Because it's going up to Cuneo tomorrow and then Turin on Saturday. And that will, of course, be where I leave the Giro this year. Uh, Very sad to be in the kind of countdown. But I've got to go and prepare for the Tour de France. I'm, I'm very much the Caleb Ewan of, of this uh, <laughs> of this uh, operation I've had an absolute shocker for 12 days and I'm going to go home regroup <laughs> and come again for the Tour de France with the will the rucksack of doom be making an appearance <laughs> at the tour <laughs> my rucksack gets a hard time I mean it's very organised it's not organised at all <laughs> it's the Bermuda Triangle of logistics it is it is um, but the Grand Tours are just a a continuous cycle of losing things and then finding them again and feeling that euphoric rush of having found the vital cable or, or wire or, As or, you were passport, sitting on it. or passport, which I thought I'd lost last night. But yeah, we came down through this part of the world and um, just to take a more serious turn for a moment, it must have been a fairly poignant day for you, Brian, because the race went over the Paso del Bocco today and of course... Back in 2011, when you were the manager of the Leopard Trek team, there was the tragic incident where one of your riders, Walter Weyland, the Belgian, was killed on the descent of the Paso del Bocco. And, well, you were interviewed about that for television this morning, weren't you? I mean, what was going through your mind today, knowing the Giro was going to be uh, passing the site of that tragic accident? I think every year during the Giro, on the day when it happened, a lot of people think about Volta and, you know, former teammates, friends in the peloton and, you know, the people who work with him back then are scattered on other teams. But 
a lot of them are still working at at, at track Sigafredo now, and that day was definitely the hardest day I've had ever experienced. I was relatively young as a team manager, and you know, I had to call Voto's father to tell him his son had died. I had to call his pregnant girlfriend, and those are things I no one should should ever have to do that because it's it's an unbearable tragedy, and it's a tragedy that brings everything into perspective instantly. Now when I'm reminded of, you know, the, the sorrow has turned into memories and memories that we try to, you know, I, the obligation we have of, which you all know very too, very all too well, that the, the obligation of trying to continue life when there's a color missing and there's a voice missing and there's something that, that just doesn't make sense is, is very, very hard. But I, w I would say now that it's, you know, it's 11 years ago and I try and use it as something to remind me how precious life is and also to remind me how beautiful cycling can also be. You know, the, the tragedy is there's nothing beautiful about that. That's just sad and it's a very dangerous sport at times. But the, the beautiful things that happen when the sport actually is a family. You know, I remember one of the, I got a one-line email from Mauro Venni that day. And it just said, uno di noi, one of us, it means. And, and that's exactly what it is. You know, it, it's, there's humanity beneath all of the competition and all the envy and all the jealousy and, and the money and the speculation. And, and we're here because of that. We're here because it reminds us of very, very important things that we share, life and death and love and sorrow and, and joy. And, and all, of, all of those emotions go through everyone on a day like today. And I think there's a, there's a beauty, actually, of, of them coming back to that place because there's an honorary element of that, you know. They also, after that, the year when Boto died, no one can ever race with the 108 again. And all those things are just part of a beautiful element of, of respect and memory that I think cycling is, is very full of. There's nostalgia always in cycling, but this, it's not always just remembering that things were better in the old days. There's a beauty in that nostalgia as well, and, and Volta is now part of that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the number 108, which was Wayland's number um, that year in the Giro, and that number has been retired, and that is exactly why Diego Rosa of Eolo Cometa is wearing the 109 number. There's only eight-man teams, so normally they should run from 101 to 108, but Rosa wears 109. He, of course, is in uh, the King of the Mountains jersey at the moment. Um, a, a difficult day, I guess, because, um, y yeah, like you say, it's uh, something that certainly I've thought about recently, how the peloton carries on. I mean, I remember vividly the following day, um, each team took turns riding 10 kilometers on the front. I mean, it was a long day that I think the, sec the, the day after uh, Wayland died in that crash. And there was this almost ritualistic ceremonial um, quality to that day, a very somber day. And I never really understood how on earth the peloton then got up the next day. The tragedy still just as fresh, but carried on and went shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. And I think perhaps I got an insight into that after Richard Moore passed away because uh, somehow I was able to go to Scotland and, and ride my bike. And... Um, it wasn't normal at all and I was, I was I guess grieving as the peloton would have been back at that time but I definitely understood a little bit more how the sport goes on because it's funny isn't it these races there are fatalities every you know every so often fortunately it's very infrequent 
but the sport goes on and uh, like you say that is what that is what um, I guess everybody signs up for isn't it really I was writing about it today uh, and then something that you know often it makes things easier if you can put words to it and there's also an element because it's not just in cycling that people unfortunately die way too early and and leave a, a massive gap but I think once those memories once that sorrow turns into a memory we also we actually f I feel we have an obligation to continue because we make a mockery of the people we leave behind if we don't continue because the continuing actually defines the value of us being here and I think if we all stop and, and immerse ourselves in sorrow which is inevitable but if we don't continue we, deval we devaluate how important life is because that's why we get uh, sad when when we when, when we miss people who aren't here anymore so as hard as it may be and and and, and there's always be a gap there will always be something missing but we have an obligation to continue as harsh as that may sound i'll just echo those very fine words from from brian and uh, words that we've certainly well had in our minds as well or thoughts sentiments that we've had in our minds over the last couple of weeks lionel um today there was another tragedy that was being in its own way commemorated and it was the collapse of the, the Ponte Morandi bridge going into Genova in 2018, the 14th of August 2018. A lot of people will remember the pictures, pictures that went all around the world of the middle of the bridge just basically falling out and a, it was a Volvo truck that was poised uh, just a few, few meters before where the bridge had fallen and 43 people died, many more were injured and certainly even more than that were shocked by what they'd seen and well the bridge was rebuilt in 2020 the the famous architect Renzo Piano was entrusted with the project of designing the new bridge which is now called the Ponte San Giorgio the viaduct the San Giorgio viaduct Renzo Piano famous for his work on the Pompidou Centre the Shard in London and Potsdamer Platz in Berlin Bari's on it's another football reference sorry red card um baris football stadium for the 1990 world cup but i mean brian you live in italy you'll have followed since then that the the fallout i that's a, a poor choice of words but um that certainly the the investigations the recriminations justified recriminations because what was uncovered after that was a a heinous story history of negligence going back over several decades there were some extraordinary figures quoted about the number of bridges italian bridges that had been inadequately or not checked at all there were shocking details in some of the investigations like the one um, which centered on the inspectors that should have been or should have at some point inspected the um, the Genova Bridge and intervened shortly before it fell. They were 50 minutes after it did fall. They were texting each other about their fantasy football teams while, while admitting to each other that yep they hadn't checked it either. So it was no surprise that wow. it had collapsed. And you know other interviews I read um, in the months that followed about the number of bridges that do actually collapse every year in Italy. About 20 a year was one estimate. It's just they're not, the, the consequences are certainly not as tragic and as notable as that one was. Well, it's not just here in Genova where there are bridges, but all along this coast, we came over a number of them today, didn't we? I mean, it, it is a coastline of tunnels and bridges. And the one we, when we came off the motorway to come down into Genova itself, 
it really is on very narrow stilts. I mean, it's the sort of thing that if you sit and play Lego with a child, you know um, it's pushing the, the limits, really. I mean, I'm no architect, I'm no structural engineer, but um, in light of the collapse of the, the bridge a few years ago, looking at how tall they are, looking at how slender the, the support structures are, they don't fill you with an awful lot of confidence. No, I some mean, of them. I'm not a nervous person and I get very well I get quite nervous don't I when we have to well particularly in Calabria there are days when we're down in the south where we go over a dozen or more of those bridges as well, we make our way from the start to the finish our very good friend Francois Tomaso, who will be covering the Tour de France with me later on this summer he suffers from Jeffyrophobia. I've probably mangled that a bit but that is the fear of driving or crossing bridges and wow, there's been a couple of incidents where Francois the as as we've set out for the team buses and it's required a walk across a bridge a big long bridge maybe with a, a, a long drop and he's declined to go across and gone back to the press room wow. I think in general it just makes you furious that this and this is unfortunately very typical for Italy and you know you often refer to it as a bel casino like a beautiful mess but sometimes that mess is just not very charming and this country often it, it just lets itself down, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, I'm, from living here, I, the periods where I've felt safe and felt that, that Italy had real momentum is often when there's a non-politician leading the country, as it is now with, with Draghi, who I have a lot of respect for. And it's sad that he, one of the reasons why he has so much integrity is because he's not a professional politician. There's a lot of things to fix in this country and there's a lot of obvious reasons because it is one of the be most beautiful places in the world that just unfortunately lets itself down in so many ways. I mean, football and politics, I mean, we're on the verge of uh, a deluge of complaints. So let's uh, leave this part there, shall we? The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. The accordion has struck up behind I'm us I'm waiting there. for Mikael Landers to turn up with his harmonica in a minute. <laughs> if you want to get 25% off all of Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and use the code SISCP25. And as we heard, their beta fuel range is not only effective, but efficient. You can carry less of it with you, take less of it with you, and get a greater benefit when you are racing or training. So scienceandsport.com. SISCP25. Lionel, there were a lot of Ecuadorians at the finish today in Genova. There were a few Eritreans at the start this morning in Parma. And, well, two of those Eritreans were riding the race. Natnil Tesfatsion for Drone Hopper and Marawi Kudus of EF Education First Easy Post. How is Kudus getting on in general classification? He is 53rd, Daniel, 44 minutes, 37 seconds down. And what about his compatriot, Natnail Tesfatsion? He is 96th, 1 hour, 31 minutes and 50 seconds down. Excellent, Lionel. Neither uh, of them are going to win the Giro, are they? No. I think we can say that. I don't um, speculate, but we can say that. No, a, li a little bird indicated to me, a little bird who may or may not have had a moustache, um, indicated, <laughs> indicated to me yesterday that Natnail Tesfatsion may be the next 
the next big money exit. I don't know if it's big money. He may be the next high profile exit from Drone Hopper after Bernal, after. He's not known Masnada. for letting anyone go for free, though, is he? <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, Lionel. Um, sorry, Brian. Um, I know we're both bored, Daniel. Sorry, honestly, sorry. Honestly. It's been but a long Tess race. Tess I think he's been linked to Trek, Segafredo in the transfer merry go round um, in the newspapers in the last few days. Anyway, Lionel, I said there were Eritreans at the start this morning. I did speak to Marawi Kudus of EF Education First Easy Post about how his Giro was going and the impact of Biniam Gamay's victory back home in Eritrea. Hi, Marawi. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Good, good. How's your Giro so far? Yeah, the Giro so far for us, uh, uh, quite, quite good. Yeah, we are looking for a stage victory. Still, we are keep uh, fighting every day. And personally, your form, um, how did you feel coming into the Giro and how has it gone since the start of the race? Yeah, exactly. My forum, uh, my forum I'm quite happy with my the performance I have. Uh, last week, uh, it was a couple of stages was for breakaway. So, yeah, I try a couple of, to, to be in the break, the right breakaway. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't make it. My teammate make it. So still a long way, still a lot of opportunities. So I'm keep keep going. The last time the Giro finished in Liguria, in this region, an EF, well, what, what the team was called then, an EF rider Formula 1, so maybe that's a good omen. Yeah, exactly. A couple of, a yeah, long time ago, EF won this. So, so yeah, for us, uh, extra motivation, you know, when you have uh, your teammate win before, so it's extra motivation. So, the other day we saw Biniam win, obviously, and... I remember seeing the pictures years ago when you went back to Eritrea and the huge parties, the huge festival. How different is the reaction now? Is it an, a different level or is it very similar to what you experienced and Daniel experienced a few years ago? I mean, you know, when you are first, always is first, you know, when we did with Daniel uh, first first year to the France, 20, 2015. I think this atmosphere or this situation, you know, the celebration with the president, uh, all the ministers, all high diplomatic, everything, you know. I never seen again back, even when he been won uh, Kinbergen or Wally Chamsi came second. So this kind of atmosphere, I don't know, for us, you know, to France when we were first time. So it was the main key we upon the door for all of them, even for Bina. Bina at that time was a kid. So that time, I don't know, I never seen again. What's different about him in terms of personality, talent? What, what's special about him in your eyes? Uh, yeah, of course, it's all about uh, talent. Uh, talent without hard work, it doesn't work. So uh, I think, uh, you know, cycling is really first in Eritrea. So now the riders we have in Eritrea, all the training, all the, it's, it's similar with the, like a pro. So they know all the intervals, rest the day. Even nutrition, you know, all the local teams also, they have apartments and they treat as a professional. So now they changed the treatment of the riders in Eritrea. So all the riders now became more fighters and more encouraged to be a professional because they see what they're going to do in the future. They have a vision. So Biniam, one of them, you know, it, he works very hard. We all know the history of Italy colonizing Eritrea when you ride in Italy when you race in Italy how do you feel about Italy and Italians generally and what would you say the typical Eritrean feeling back in Eritrea today in 2020 is towards Italy and Italians 
I mean, yeah, you're right. We colonized by Italian. Uh, I think 19 uh, is a really long time ago, so I don't remember. I, ju I just I know as a history, but you know, uh, I've been long time in Europe. Most of the time I spend in Italy, especially in uh, Tuscany region, in Luca. So I like it. I like it, the culture, the food, the training and everything. And uh, as you said, we have more or less the same in Eritrea, the culture, especially the food. And there is some Eritrean as well. So I really love it, Italy in general. E allora, signore e signori, tutti insieme, Parma, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Lei come si chiama? Io Abramo. Abramo a Sofà. Da, da quando è che è in Italia? How long have you been in, in Italy? Io in Italia quasi 13 anni. Io venuto da Eritrea. Io ho venuto per la borsa per paesani, per Biniam, Germai, Marawi, Kudus, Natnel, Svatien. Per quello è venuto oggi. 4, 3, 2, 1, parte la dodicesima tappa. Gianni Savio over the years has been quite a talent spotter, hasn't he? I mean, he's been at it so This long. The, the moustache bird doesn't have a name, Lionel. <laughs> he's, an, he, he's anonymous. <laughs> No, I, was, I wasn't saying he was the source of your gossip whatsoever. He was unrelated. I, 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 but, but he is the boss of Tesla. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Um, but some of the riders uh, in the modern-day peloton who have come... Bearded vulture. <laughs> <laughs> or a mustachioed canary. The, I'm uh, not sure. The Androni alumnus. Uh, well, Egan Bernal, who you mentioned very famously, but Ivan Sosa's written for Savio, Fabio Fellini, Diego Rosa, uh, Davide Ballerini, Andrea Vendrame, Fausto Masnada, Matteo Catania, Simon Pello, and that's before you go back to kind of the olden days and uh, Rujano. Jose Rojano, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Johnny Trevorrow. <laughs> <laughs> He's done all right, hasn't he, at spotting the talent has. over He the years? He has. Lionel, we talked earlier about riders who started this Giro on the back foot and have not really been able to turn things around. There were a couple, well, there was certainly one in the break today. Um, Matteo Sobrero, Italian time trial champion. He started very well, actually, in Hungary. He had a very good opening time trial. But since then, things have not gone too well for Bike Exchange. Um, they've tried to regroup after Simon Yates' injury and his disappointing performance at Blockhouse. And now... Well, as we saw today with Lucas Hamilton, they have started to fire riders down the road in breaks, and I guess we'll see Simon Yates trying to win a stage as well in the next few days. Um, Matteo Sobrero is not in the best form. Um, he admitted that himself to me after the finish today, as we're about to hear. And another rider who we talked about before the Giro, possibly not being in the best form, and his preparation not having gone as well as he would have wanted, is another national champion. Norwegian national road race champion this time, Tobias Foss of Jumbo Visma. How are you doing? How's your Giro going so far? <laughs> uh, all in all, I think everything is good, but uh, for sure we, we hope for something different and uh, we hope, to, or I, I and the team also hope we could be, uh, could be up there in the GC, but, uh, but in the end, uh, yeah, with, all, with the preparation and stuff not going uh, fully as planned, and, uh, yeah, this was probably the most realistic outcome, but uh, yeah, we're still smiling and the sun is shining, so, and also every day is a new opportunity, so uh, yeah, there's still a lot to go for. Tell me a bit about that preparation in Tenerife. Did you feel there that it wasn't quite going the way you wanted and that it might be difficult to get to the Giro in the form you wanted? Or 
if you're in that position, do you still hope that a miracle might happen? Yeah, like for sure, uh, I really believe in that uh, it's not one way to, to get in good shape. And uh, but uh, but after my crash in Copia, I never really felt good actually. So uh, and also I got really fatigued on, on altitude and had to go home a bit earlier. But uh, yeah, uh, in the end it is like you said, and uh, you you always hope it, it will work out. And and also like I said, uh, there's no right way to get in shape. So. Uh, there's so many ways that can work, so uh, of course you, you hope all, all the way until the last minute, but uh, in the end uh, uh, it wasn't meant to be, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we finish this race now and then we try again. Um, people might say, how come you can't just ride into form at Grand Tour? Why is it not that simple that you just, okay, your form arrives a little bit later, but what we often hear from riders is that once you're behind in your preparation, it's difficult to catch up and a Grand Tour can actually well, not make you worse, but well, it can make you worse. Yeah, and, and for sure, I would say that uh, my shape is actually getting better for every day here. But uh, if, if you're not uh, at 100% from the beginning, then uh, then you have days like uh, I had on Blockhouse where where you're just completely empty and, and loses, uh, like you have you have no power and you lose a lot of minutes. So yeah, yeah, I think you, you just have to be really prepared from the beginning. And and uh, yeah, in my head. Yeah, you maybe don't have to need uh, the real high power or something, but you need to be able to recover every day. And 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 yeah, my shape is not good enough for that at the moment to be yeah, to go full out every day. Uh, so it is how it is. It's getting better, and uh, yeah, it's still a lot of stages to smile for. So it sounds like you're going to be picking your days in the last week. Is today one of those days? Maybe. Yeah, today is one of those days for sure. And. I think now all the way until stage 18, I will uh, I will really chase uh, one day result, and then yeah, then from 18, I think I will uh, yeah put the brake on a bit and, and really save up as much for the time trial as possible, and then uh, and really really go hard on the time trial. And last thing, Tobias, this is the, your second Giro now, isn't it? Um, is, have you seen anything on the Giro? One more. Have you seen anything on the Giro um, this year or have you seen a place that you didn't know that you've particularly kind of fallen in love with and wanted to go back to? Yeah, yeah I think for sure the, the whole Italy is, is just so nice and uh, yeah, my, sister's, my sister is actually moving to Firenze now in, uh, in the autumn and uh, yeah, I will for sure visit her a lot and, and spend some time her, uh, riding my bike. It's uh, such a beautiful country and uh, yeah, all the culture is also super nice. Well, Matteo, you managed to get into the break today, and well, how did you feel out there, first of all? Uh, I'm not feeling so good. I yeah, I spend uh, a lot of energy to to get in the break, and uh, and then uh, yeah, I I want to go in the break also to to test myself and to see how is my shape. But yeah, it's not so good, so. I don't know, yeah, we take by, day by day and uh, I hope in the third week it, to find some good feeling. You seem a little disappointed. Yeah, yeah, uh, with the team we work hard for uh, for the Giro and uh, so I'm a bit disappointed because, yeah, I'm struggling to find a, a good feeling, yeah. And Matteo, if it's not going to be you over the next two days, I mean, you know these stages perfectly in Piemonte. Yeah. What do you think we're going to see? Do you think we're going to see any general classification changes? Yeah, that that's one of the points uh, why I'm uh, a bit disappointed, because uh, we pass uh, close to my home and uh, I want to to do well no, on my my home soil. And uh, yeah, uh, I think tomorrow is not a problem, but the stage of touring will be really hard. 
Well, chaps, that was Tobias Foss and Matteo Sobrero, Sobrero talking about his home stages coming, the Piedmontese stages, two of them coming the next couple of days. Of course, Matteo Sobrero, he comes from a winemaking family, Brian. His dad, Giorgio Sobrero, makes a nice dolcetto um, and uh, a nice nebbiolo as well up there in Montelupo Albese. But yesterday was the food stage, not the wine stage, although we turned it into a bit of a wine stage as well. Um, what Can we just agree that any stage in the Giro yes, is a food stage? they're all food exactly, and wine stages. Exactly. And Bella Vita, Dolce Vita stages. What did we have? What did we enjoy last night? We had guinea fowl. You boys had guinea fowl, didn't no, you? No, no, I had rabbit, actually. The first oh, time sorry, I've had yeah. any meat for a while, uh, you know, other than a kind of ragu-type meat. Um, it was very, very nice indeed. Before that... Had uh, some ravioli with uh, well, they tortelli, ravi- tortelli, they Sorry, were with tortelli. Um, pumpkin, weren't they? Pumpkin and verdi. What was the verdi? I it must it have been spinach. spinach. It was spinach. Yeah. And before that, we had a sort of parmesan gnocco uh, fritto. We had, which was uh, yeah, those little puffy pillows, lovely. I, I really like those. Uh, pleasant to eat, very pleasant to eat, and yes. and actually quite uh, delightful lambrusco. This is very underestimated wine. Was it a lambrusco? I think so. It was definitely a Sangiovese from... No, it wasn't a Lambrusco. It wasn't. It was, it was a Sangiovese it was a, from near where we were staying in Borzano, I believe. I think which we can is, all which agree. Which is really the, the headquarter nice. of we can all Lambrusco. It was nice. No, no it, was it was nice. I made the mistake of ordering a Tuscan wine initially. I know, I wasn't, very, I wasn't too enamored with that, was I? It's going to be fish tonight. Daniel, you're not a big fan of fish, are no, you? Yeah, so what are you doing fish. tonight, Daniel? <laughs> but... but <laughs> When we go into the Piedmont region, I've never had banya cauda, but I've been told it's, mm, a, it's, it's not really not your thing. Well, it's not really for this time of year, oh. necessarily. I would say um, ravioli del plin is a is a common dish to have in Piedmont. Lionel, we're talking a lot about food. I'm getting hungry. We've always talked a lot about food in the podcast, particularly in 2019 when we started in a city famous for its food so much so that it's nicknamed La Grassa the fat one Bologna very fond memories of that weekend we were with our great friend and comrade Richard Moore and well there was a lot of talk that weekend about spaghetti spaghetti bolognese tagliatelle here we are in Bologna in 2019 Il Giro del Buffalo remembering Richard Moore Giro Hi, Giro d'Italia. What it means for you? You are English. Scottish. Are you Scottish? Oh Very, important <laughs> Very important distinction. <laughs> the Bologna is one of the greatest city. She get all, all people, all the time. It's by to the university, at the university. It's nothing. It's the people they live in. Well, that wasn't Marlon Brando. <laughs> Daniel, who was that? Well, it was our host last night, wasn't it? The restaurateur, the, I think the owner of La Drogeria de la Rosa. Very appropriate of the, the well, the chemist of the, of the, of the rose or of the pink. Um, probably actually slightly inappropriate vis-a-vis the Giro d'Italia. And, and during Italian. You said earlier the uh, Bologna is known as the, the fat one, also the, the red one and the learned one. 
It's got these three names, isn't it, for its history of its university and its politics. Very much so. Very much so, Rich. Um, the, we will obviously be focusing on the food because we're neither learned, well, red, well, maybe. <laughs> um, we, we ate very well, didn't we, Napalm? We had a no, couple, we we've already had a few specialities. I was stunned to arrive in Bologna and, and you revealed that the mayor of Bologna is trying to outlaw I've been having correspondence Bolognese. with him. Have you been yeah. in touch with him? I've been having correspondence with him. I think I might speak to him tomorrow about his campaign to rid the world of spaghetti alla bolognese. Spag-ball. It's a long old story. This I don't think you want me to go into it. There's a big battle going on between Bologna and Napoli. Napoli says that it should be spaghetti alla bolognese. Uh, in Bologna, they say spaghetti have never existed. In Bologna, it's, it, they're vermicelli, uh, which are little worms, it's- but they would never have them with ragu, uh, with bolognese sauce anyway. Is this... Uh- going to appear in episode one of Kilometre no, Zero I on think Monday. it will be mentioned. Excellent. Excellent. Kilometre Zero, well, nice mention, Lionel. Kilometre Zero sponsored by Hans Well, Daniel, we need to get to Albenga. I booked us onto the campsite that oh. me and my family <laughs> stayed in in 1990. I can probably picture where it was. We can get there. I know you're... you're you're the sort of person that would love camping, Daniel, I'm sure. I've got nothing to, don't try to turn the listeners <laughs> against me. <laughs> Any campers out there that, that uh, will turn on Daniel? Because you, you did say I'm camping's a, not no, your No, I'm cup a of very tea. laid-back character and everything just tends to wash over me. I'm very... I'm very sanguine about most things. Lionel. I thought with your, your, I thought with your. I mean, Brian's You're talking face. about someone else right now. <laughs> Clearly, but with your love of the outdoors, I would have thought camping would be that right up your street. But no, no. My idea of outdoor living is sort of setting off with a saber, as discussed yesterday, and just surviving off the land in the wilderness for, you know. A couple of months, not with a, a couple tent. of hours. Not with a tent that I bought from Decathlon. Well, anyway, we're off to Albenga, and we're hopefully going to be meeting up with Stacy Snyder, who's come over from the US to visit the Giro d'Italia. Looking forward to hearing about how her time here has been, and she has got a huge consignment of her cups, which we've got to distribute over the next couple of days. Oh, don't worry, Daniel, I'll do that. There's for people in the peloton. I think something for you, maybe even as well, Daniel. Um, but it would be great to see Stacey and I think we'll probably record a bit with her for the podcast because the collaboration with Stacey Snyder and her cups stretches back uh, a number of years now and really stemmed from Joe Dombrowski's diary at the Giro d'Italia in, I think, 2015. I, I could be getting that wrong. It might have been... No, it would have been 2015, I think. He kept an audio diary for us and Stacey decided that Joe Dombrowski was cup-worthy and contacted Richard to find out how she could send a cup to Dombrowski. And that's how this whole collaboration kicked off. So it will be great to see Stacey a bit later. We'll all be enjoying some fish and Daniel will be sat there with an empty plate. I know. Kilometre zero tomorrow. Well, well, there's already one out that was, you mentioned it earlier, La Rosea, the pinky, about La Gazzetta de los Sport. Tomorrow there's one, it's going to be called, I think I'm, I think we're going to call it Popo the Good Fight, or Popo's Good Fight, something like that. Might change between now and when it comes out tomorrow morning, but it will come out tomorrow morning. But it features Yaroslav Popovich, who is Ukrainian. He is. We'll say no more. Until Except tomorrow. Buonasera. Daniel, thank you. Brian, thank you. Thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.